Liverpool, and 75 children. That's a lot of kids, isn't it? 75 kids, man. And just imagine Moses hustling all the children of Israel, you know, out in the desert. How do you keep them all together? There was nearly three million of them. How do we stay together as a pack? Don't wander off into the desert. And it's like that. It's good to have you here. It's good to be a part of Forward Together. And that's what we've been moving through. Well, I think it would be our fifth week in this. Nathan did three. I did one last week. And here is the next instalment. We're following on in this series, Forward Together. And the series flows out of LifeGate's vision to see people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. To see people live. We can't say that too fast. You've got to let that sink in. To see people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. And then there's our values. Get real, take action. That's all about putting into practice our vision. Because unless you put it into practice, it just becomes words in our heads. And I've come to realise as I've got older, God doesn't want it to stay in my head. It's called transformation, isn't it? It's got to flow from my head to my heart and out into my hands. It's got to change my life. And God wants to transform us. That's why when we're saved, we're not just whipped off to heaven. He says, I'm going to give you a little bit of time on earth here to practice what I'm going to teach you. That's called transformation. And that's what we get to do here. So by reading God's word together this morning, we're going to understand his heart's desire. And then we get to live that out during the week, the oncoming weeks. It's called being formed in his son's image, which Paul talks about in Romans. And what a great opportunity that is, this side of heaven. I became a Christian because I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. That was pretty much where I was at at 15. I don't want to go to hell. I realised what that meant. So I want to go to heaven. And for many years, that's where I was stuck. Take me to heaven. Take me to heaven. And God's going, no, you're on earth. Not yet. Not yet. And I started to realise that it's on earth that he gets to form me. He gets to make me. I will not have the opportunity of being formed today when I'm in heaven. I'll already be made perfect. I'll be who he wants me to be. I'll be on that side of death, the other side of death. It's only on this side, before I die, that God gets to push hard and push his fingers into me to mould me and make me. And that's a privilege. That's a real privilege of being human and being his. He gets to form us. So let's feel God's fingerprints on us today. We looked at this verse and we kind of spoke about this as as where we want to go in moving forward together. Let's read it out. And I've done it in the message today because it's the last four times we've looked at it, it's been in the NIV. I thought, let's change it up a bit and see what uh, the message translation has to say. If you've received anything at all out of following Christ. Tick, I have. If his love has made any difference in your life. Tick, I have. Yes, it certainly has. If being a community of the Spirit means anything to you. Yeah, I love it here. Tick, I got that. If you have a heart, and I think it's more than just the blood thing pumping around here, it means do you love those around you? Yeah, 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 I do. Tick. 
If you care, well, I do care. Tick. Well, then listen to this, Paul says. Then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. It's going to be interesting at the coffee afterwards. Do we all stand back and go, you go first, you go first. There's no one there. (laughs) But he says this, doesn't he? Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I love the way he says that. Forget yourselves long enough. The thing is, like me, I'm always thinking about me. I've got to forget myself long enough to think of others. I've got to get out of the way sometimes so I can see how to love others. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself, who is in the very nature of God, but came down to earth. That's what Christ and those following verses talk about, isn't it? And we summed up Paul's words here with this saying, let's treat people well. Nathan made that statement, and I like that, because that's exactly what those verses are telling us. Treat people well. And as a church, we desire to see people live in in freedom. That's our vision statement. And um, who's found freedom in Jesus? Yeah? Great. That is good. Sometimes those words, freedom and purpose, can get so lost that we just use it as a vision statement. We don't actually let it sink in. But it would be interesting to go around to each one of you and say, what does that mean to you that you have found freedom? What have you found? What's so freeing in your life? And as a church, we get excited seeing people finding their purpose in life. I mean, it's one of the, the statements that many people say, what is my purpose? What am, what am I doing here on earth? What is my purpose? Well, I think it's in Jesus that he, he defines your purpose. And we need to seek that out. And I think the best environment that we can create to allow each one of us to find freedom and purpose is the environment of treating people well. See, when people are doing this, people are free to find the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers. So when we treat people well, then we can treat people the way God asks us to. And it does enable us to move forward together. And that's what this series is all about. Now, who was here last week? Okay, Can you remember the sermon from last week? It's going to be asked of you if you're in a life group. In last week's sermon, we looked at Paul's words in Ephesians 5 that explains to us that God has made a way for us to move forward and to treat people well. And we used these verses. We used these verses. Paul's very clear. He says, be very careful then how you live. It's a good way to start. Whenever he says something like that, you've got to go, okay, I've got my ears open here. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the, will, the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I spoke about that it's this verse 18, being filled with the Spirit that gives us the advantage and enables us to move forward together. It enables us to treat people well. Because, and I spoke about this, that my human nature, my fallen nature, the flesh, I think Paul calls it, doesn't always put others first. I struggle with that. I put myself first. The old man rises up and I go, I want this. This is my right. And so I do that to me. And I leave others out of my world, out of my thinking, out of my care. And it breaks down. So therefore I find myself not treating people well. But God says, I will not leave you and ask you to do something without providing the way for you. And with that, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And I said this verse actually falls pretty much in the middle of what Paul's talking about here in chapter 5. It is the center, almost the center verse, but it's the verse that gives us the capacity to move forward together. It's the verse that gives us the capacity to treat people well. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. God in you equips you with the capacity to treat people well. I'm glad that happens. I'm glad that happens. Your means to do it is not confined to your own ability, but comes from beyond you. You see, now there's a chance that I can actually treat people well. Because it comes from beyond me. I can be the instrument of the God in me, the Holy Spirit, working through me in my relationships. God does not ask us to do something without providing the power to do it. That's what this verse is saying here. God does not ask us to do something without providing the power to do it. Our role then is to step into it and to do it. We must choose to treat people well. It's a choice, isn't it? And I suppose in the light of that, I would like to ask you, how has your week been, those of you who were here last week? Have you chosen to treat people well? Have you had any experiences of treating people well this week, this last week? Have you been able to reach out beyond you? I hope you have. That's the doing of God's word. That's that stepping out. And in fact, Peter says, you do your good works. And those who don't know God will see that and ask why and give God the glory. That's a wonderful thing. That even in itself, in treating people well, people will say, why do they do that? Why are they so nice? What do they have that I don't? And it will lead, hopefully, into that progression of finding out what it is that's within you that has changed your life. Now, last week, we looked at treating others well. This week, Paul's a little bit more specific, and he talks about marriage, families, and employment. Now, where did I go with that? No? Ah. Stay there. Marriage, families, and employment. Now, before we look at what he says about these relationships, I want to consider this one verse here. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse in your Bibles probably comes at the end of a paragraph and then they start a new one. Let me just say, that's not how it's written in the Greek. It flows. So when he says, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ, full stop, not new paragraph, wives, submit to your husbands, is all part of the one thing. And I believe it's a, it's a connecting verse to everything that follows, which is marriage, families, and, uh, and, and your employment. But this word submit, it's an interesting word. I think it's given Paul a lot of bad press. He's kind of, kind of, Paul's kind of seen as a male chauvinist pig amongst some people today, the way he talks. And I think that's quite opposite to what Paul is trying to say here. Submit. Submit is the, actually the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso. It comes from two words. Hupo, which means beneath or under. And tasso is the word to arrange. So to arrange beneath or to arrange under. And primarily, it's a military term. And when you use it in that concept, or I explain it that way, it might explain a little bit more, because it means to rank under. So you have your general, and under that, the lieutenant, under that, the captain, under that, the private. It's to rank under. It's to come under that which is over you. You are still important. The soldier's just as important as the captain. But there's an order in it. And that's what hupotasso means, to arrange under. And you know what? It's something you and I do every day because you and I are in the kingdom of God. And we are subject to the king. You and I come under what God asks of us. If you're reading his word, you're not there telling him what to do. He's there revealing to you his heart and desires, and you step out in it. That's the transformation we're talking about. That's hupotasso. That's submitting yourself to him, coming under his leadership, and doing what he asks. Okay? Submission. Paul says it this way in uh, Ephesians 1.22. He said, God placed all things under Christ's rule. Now, our English translation uses the word placed, but that's the word hupotasso. God placed, God placed all things under Christ's rule. And he appointed him to be ruler over everything for the church. And Paul uses this word quite often about submitting to civil authorities, to church leaders, to parents, to elders, to masters. He actually uses it quite often. I was reading in some places, nearly 23 times in his letters he uses this word. Submit. I remember once, uh, I was only 18, so we're going back into the 70s, I hate to say that. I remember I just bought a brand new motorbike, 250 Honda Trail. It was pride and joy. 18 I was. I got my licence and I was out at Teen Ranch, where I became a Christian, which is out Cobbity, which is out Norellan, out that way. Oran Park Speedway was next to that. And I remember leaving Teen Ranch and Oran Park Speedway had just finished and the traffic to get onto the main road was horrendous off this little road that I was coming on. I now owned a motorbike. I can overtake. So I got on my bike and I rode for about three or four kilometres <laughs> on the other side of the road. It was a broken line, I could overtake. All the way down to the front of the line, which was around a bend. 
And as soon as I came round the bend, there was a policeman directing the traffic. He saw me riding down on the other side of the road, and he just went like this. <laughs> okay. I came over, he said, and he kept directing the traffic. And I sat, and I sat, <laughs> and I sat. I reckon for three or four kilometres of traffic, he got rid of. <laughs> he came over to me and he said, what are you doing? I had no words. He said, give, give me your licence. He looked at my licence and he said, you've only just got this licence. I went, yes. He looked at the speedo and I had like about 39 kilometres on my speedo. You've only just got this bike. And I'm sitting there going, yes. And then he proceeded to tell me everything he could book me with. And my heart's just sinking. He said, it's sad to put this bike away in the garage because you won't ride it for a while. You won't have a license to drive your car. You won't. And he just went through it all. And I'm just sitting there as my shoulders slumping, slumping with all the smirks of the drivers <laughs> next to me. And then he says to me, so don't do it again. Now get on your bike and go. Ah, oh, thank you. There is the authority of the police right there. And I have to come under that authority. That's me showing submission. When he pointed the finger and pulled me over, I was there. And society actually depends on people recognising this, doesn't it? Of course, without it, anarchy exists. If we don't listen to the government, if we don't listen to uh, the police then society crumbles. So in everyday life, we, hupotasso, we submit. And in verse 21, Paul tells us that within the church, we are to submit to one another. We are to submit to one another. But have a look. Have a look at that. What's the motivating factor? Can you see it? Out of the reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. What does reverence mean? Well, it means respect. It means adoration. It means worship. It means honour. Because I honour God, because I respect God, because I adore God, I will submit to others. My submitting to you is not about you being over me in authority, but it's about me honouring my God. I don't submit to you because you are over me. I submit to you because God is over me. I do it for the reverence of him. And therefore I submit to you and you submit to me. We work together as the body that Christ talks about. You see, by submitting to one another, we actually honour the Lord. Paul puts it this way, very simple. Honour one another above yourselves. <laughs> Can't put it any more plain, can he? Honour one another above yourselves. And this is the way that Jesus actually taught the disciples. He said the greatest is the one who uses their authority to build others up. So what does he do? He washes their feet. You want to show what the greatest is like? Watch this, boys, as he takes off his robe, gets the towel and the water and washes their feet. Wow. Being over people is not like the Pharisees who made themselves the important ones, lifted themselves up 
and separated themselves from those around them. Paul sums it up this way in Galatians 5.13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Yeah, we were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Oh, okay. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. See what he's saying? This is true submission. So let's look at the three relationships here that the spirit-filled person is to treat each other well in. But I want you to notice this. I want you to notice this. These three people groups in Paul's time did not have a voice. There's a little bit more of a voice in Australia today for these three people groups. But wives, children and slaves did not have a voice. In fact, in many parts of the world still today, they don't have a voice. Here in Australia, it's very different. Wives, children, children especially, (laughs) have more of a voice than ever. And we don't often have slaves in our society, though there are slaves around this world still. So I'm going to change that to employees. Okay? I'll I'll take a little bit of um, contextualisation on that and we'll talk about it that way. I think it adds to the complexity for us in understanding this verse, though, is that... We get a, we're hearing what Paul is saying, but we need to understand it and what it means for us today. And here in these verses, Paul was, through Jesus, lifting these people up. And that's the great thing about Christianity. It lifted the rights of women. It lifted the rights of children. It lifted slaves. It gave them a place in the community. And husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters could sit together in the same gathering and enjoy each other's presence. It did not happen outside the church in first century Rome. He's saying, wives, children and slaves, you have a part to play in the Christian church. Christ's body on earth. You have a voice. You have a way to live. So be spirit-filled And show your love for God by treating people well. And that's why he talks about these three people groups. And why it's important for us to move together, forward together, that we understand these people groups and what Paul is asking from them. Christ's body on earth has a voice. So by being spirit-filled and showing your love for God by treating people well, this can be done. Let's have a look at the first one. Wives and husbands. And he says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It's interesting. See that verse 22, your wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. That word submit actually is not in the Greek. 
We, translators have put that in. Now, it's not wrong that it's there because it's following on from that transition verse of verse 21. But it doesn't actually sit there. It actually says, wives, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Because he's talking, already said it. Submit to the Lord. Submit to each other, uh, one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands. The translators have actually put it in there. So what does this mean in the light of husbands and wives? What is this submission that Paul's talking about here? Well, verse 22 tells us that because the spiritful wife desires to honour her Lord, she will come under the leading of her husband. Remember? Hupatasa. You come under the leading of your husband. That's what he's talking about. I mean, wives have never had a voice in that society. And all of a sudden they're in church. And he's saying, do you want to know how to react? I'll let you know what God wants. And this is what he speaks about. Now, at this point, the Christian wife is obeying the Lord. That's what he's saying. You are obeying the Lord. And the Lord is the one who formalized marriage. So he's saying, and this is where he's going to go with these verses. God formalized marriage. This is what God invites the wife into. This is not tyranny, by the way. This is not oppression. This is not domination. This is not cruelty. Submission to the husband is none of those things. Submission is not being inferior or of less dignity. That is not submission for the wife to the husband. Look at God himself. And I showed you this verse before. He placed all authority under Christ. So let me ask you the question. Is Jesus any inferior to God? No. Jesus goes back to heaven and gives all authority to the Spirit. Is the Spirit any inferior to Jesus? No. So the wife is not inferior to the husband. The first relationship the wife should obey is who? To the Lord. That's what the verse says. That's who the wife should be obeying. The Lord. And from that, she will arrange herself under the husband's leading. Who Hupatissa. Right there. Now in verse 23, Paul grounds the fact of the husband's headship in relation to the marriage of Jesus and his bride. And when he talks about Jesus and his bride, he's talking about you and I. You and I are the bride of Christ. Which is really weird to get into my head as a bloke that I'm actually a bride. We are the bride. Collectively. Collectively, we are the bride. And this lifts the whole marriage theme, I think, to quite a lofty level here, what Paul's talking about. What does this all mean, though, for the wife? Well, the husband's headship should express care, it should express love, it should express protection. Even sacrifice, and this is where Paul's going to go with this for the blokes, so blokes haven't got out of this easy yet. It's very clear what this expresses. It's quite a lofty level. Submission is love, not law. Can I say that again? (laughs) Let that sink in. Submission is love, not law. See, our problem is, in third world countries, wives are still suppressed and dictated to, and squashed. But Christ has lifted wives above that and have both together, no less inferior, 
but in a place of order. And right here, Paul's talking about it. Now, I believe the submission that God speaks about does not detract from womanhood, but positively enriches it. Oh, let me go back one. But positively enriches it. And you can read that there. You can read that there. You know, I'll show you him. Where is he? It's my dog. It's our dog. That's Dino. And this morning when I was preparing my sermon, I get up early on Sunday mornings to go over it in my head. He's in his bed asleep inside the house and I just have to do this. And he comes. And he's at my feet. I want to scratch. <laughs> Hi, mate. How you doing? In fact, we can do that in our bed now, which is literally at the other end of our house. We go like this in the morning and you hear this trot, 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 trot through the house, up, jumps up onto our bed and puts his two paws. Hi, mate. How you doing? Let me tell you, submission is nothing like that. Okay, women? If you hear this from your husband, they've got it wrong. Okay? But you know what? I think that's the way it has been interpreted, and that's why Paul is seen as this male chauvinist. Because that's what people think. I've had a lot of discussion with Christian women over these verses. That's just not for today. Paul's a pig asking all of this. I'm going, you've not understood the scripture. You're not understanding where Paul is going with this. The world thinks submission is like how you treat an animal. Commanding, controlling, inferior. Submission is not like a cowering dog. I believe submission speaks about what God speaks about. He does not detract from womanhood, but positively enriches it. And that's what he says in these verses. Verse 24, just as the church, the bride of Christ, acknowledges Jesus' authority, have a look at verse 24, and it seeks to please him. Now, we as a church, I hope, do seek to please Jesus. Is that right? I hope, well, I get a hands up for everyone on that. We seek to please Jesus. So just as the church wants to do that, he says, so the wife would want to do that. So should the wife find no difficulty in submitting to her husband. The difficulty will come when he's not doing what we're going to look at next. That's where the tension's going to be. Now, I want you to note something. It says in everything there. In everything does not mean in everything. Paul is not talking about sinning here. The husband cannot ask the wife to sin. God's law needs to be followed. And I think the reason he says this is because husbands back in first, world, first century Rome could actually ask their wives to be prostitutes. And it does not mean that. It does not mean that. Remember, the husband is not asking the wife for submission. Notice those verses there. Nowhere is the husband asking the wife for submission. God is asking the wife to submit to the husband. So this is my conversation when I have it with women. I go, hey, back off. It's not me asking the wife. You've got the problem with God. Talk to him about it. Because he's the one saying, submit, not me. Okay? Headship is not dictatorship. And it's this. Each for the other and both for the Lord. Each for the other and then both for the Lord. That's marriage. 
Now, our vision statement is all about freedom, isn't it? It's found in living out God's word. Freedom is found in submitting to your husband as to the Lord. That's really what it is. I honestly believe this. Freedom is found in fulfilling this verse. If we say, obeying God's word, we will find freedom. Here is God's word. You will find freedom by submitting to God's word. You see what I'm saying here? That's why it's important that we understand what it's saying and not some first world generated bull. Go back to what God's asking. Paul in 25 to 33 has a word for the husbands. And you know what? It consists of some pretty heavy committed action from the husband to the wife. In fact, when I read this, I kind of go, man, I've got it harder than her. And so it should be maybe. If there's this sense of coming under, look what it says in verse 25. He's to love his wife sacrificially. To love his wife sacrificially. The husband is to lay down his life for her. Husbands, I'm speaking to you. Do you? Would you lay down your life for her? That's what Paul's talking about. Paul says, look at Christ's love for the church and make it the pattern for loving your wife. You know what? When a husband is loving his wife sacrificially, who wouldn't want to submit to that? Isn't that right? Why wouldn't you want to come under that if he's willing to do that for you, to have you and serve, uh, make you before himself, number one? Serving others, submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. And he's willing to lay down his life. Husbands are to be in the process of enabling... Uh, sorry, number two. It's all about sanctifying her. So the first one's sacrificing. The second one's sanctifying, verses 26 to 27. Jesus' sacrifice for his bride was so she could be presented pure. Now, let me just explain that in our Christian walk. You and I can pray to God because he sees us as pure. Now, you might not see yourself as pure. Your husband might not see you as pure, or your wife might not see you. But you are pure because Jesus' blood has made you pure. You stand cleansed before God. Therefore, without sin, you can enter into the presence of God. That's the biblical recognition from the word. We stand pure. And Jesus' sacrifice for his bride was so he could present the church pure before his father. That's how we come into the presence of God. Husbands are to be in the same process of enabling their wives to live out their purity. That's what he's saying here. Enabling them to be holy. Husbands, do you do that for your wives? Do you enable them to live out their purity? To live out their holiness? That's what we should be doing, he's saying. And then thirdly, in verses 28 to 30, the husband's love for his wife should also be very sorry, satisfying. Loving her as he loves himself. You see, in marriage, the husband and wife become one flesh. Therefore, whatever each does to the other, they do to themselves. Whatever each does to the other, they do to themselves. Marriage should be a very mutually satisfying experience. But isn't that sad? That's why we have so much divorce. Because it's not a mutually satisfying experience. 
We had to sacrifice, we had to sanctify, and we had to satisfy, blokes, if you're a married man. Paul then asks us to consider a profound mystery. And in verses 31 to 33, he quotes a verse from Genesis. And he tells us that Adam had to give part of himself. What part did Adam have to give? His rib. That's right. See there in verses 31 to 33? But Christ didn't just give a rib. What did he give? All of himself. He gave it all for the purchase of his bride on the cross. Jesus' love was immense for his bride... You and me, husbands, it is no less immense. We are to give ourselves for our bride. Now, let me just bring this down. I've got two little stories. About a week and a half ago, I'd come home from a meeting. I'd had a shower. Just to let you know, I get up at quarter past five. I go to the gym. So I like to go to bed 9, 9.30. I love just to relax, get into bed, go to sleep. I get home, have my shower, get into bed, Fee walks in and walks out quite quickly and I could see there was something wrong. Her demeanour, her presence just wasn't right. She was struggling. She walks back, I say, are you coming to bed? You know, she's walking out and, no, 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 I'm going to sit out in the lounge room. Okay. There's that tone of the voice. I could hear something was not right, something was wrong, she was hurting. But I've got to get up at quarter past five. And I'm already in bed. I've got the blankets up. But she's hurting. But I've got to get up in the morning. Can you hear the tension? <laughs> I'm going to get up. So I took up the blankets and I got on the dressing gown. I went out. She's sitting in this half dark room. And I just sat on the end of the lounge. And I just sat. And over a couple of minutes, she opened up. And then half an hour later, she was in full form talking about where she was at and what was hurting. And where. And you know what? She got it out. She talked about it and went, I think we can go to bed now. No, I didn't have to do a thing <laughs> except be there. All I had to do was provide my presence, which, by the way, was really wanting to be back in that bed. But I had to think beyond me. I had to get up, get out. And we went to bed all things were clear. She got up the next morning and went, I feel better. Good, good. And let me tell you the other story. <laughs> on Fridays, we like to go out and have a coffee. And up in Mortdale, where we live, there's a coffee shop. It's a bit like um, the coffee perk from Friends. It's lots of lounges you can sit around. It's our, it's our video shop. It's Subway, and it's the coffee shop, and it's this huge place. You just sit around. We take a book, read the paper, drink coffee, and we love it. We walked in, we were going to get a video to watch on my day off. She said, I'll go over and get a video, you get the coffee. I said, no worries, there's a couple of ladies in front of me. Just got to remember what she has, soy latte, okay? Uh, um, Chai soy latte. (laughs) Always embarrassed about asking for that. And a flat white. So I'm standing in line, and you know what was sitting to the right-hand side? This big, fat chocolate donut. Oh, yeah, I love chocolate donuts. And there it was, amongst all these other wonderful cakes, there was this, and it had my name on it. So I get to the front, yeah, I want a chai soy latte, and I want flat white, and that donut. Round that up and bring that in. That's mine, that's all mine. You beauty. Pay for it, go and sit down. We're there, I'm so excited. Fee comes across, sits down, done it all, hun, enjoy. Just sit there, with that the lady walks over, took drinks, 
and a big fat donut. And I'm sitting there and I go, I've got the donut. I'm eating it. And Fee's sitting there looking at me. And I'm thinking, she doesn't like the idea that I'm eating a donut because I eat so many. <laughs> and I go, what's wrong? Typical bloke. And she says, you know what? She says, while I was standing over there amongst the books, uh, the, the videos, she said, I thought to myself, I hope he surprises me with a baklava. Because I know she loves baklava and they have really good ones there. Where was the baklava in amongst the donut? Nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Nowhere to be seen. Who was the main person on my radar? Me. Now, I tell you that those two stories because sometimes I can do right, <laughs> I get it right, sometimes I can do wrong, and that was an awkward situation as I ate my donut <laughs> in front of the non-baklava-eating wife. <laughs> See, sometimes we've got to be thinking far beyond ourselves. And even as your pastor, I don't always get it right. And we have to work on it together. We have to treat people well. We have to move forward in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace as those who do treat others well. The great thing about it with Fee is I can say sorry and she forgives me. <laughs> and she didn't want it after that anyway, but I felt bad. Anyway. The takeaway from all of Paul's words is this. A spirit-filled husband should live in such a way for his wife that she would know that he would be willing to die for her well-being. That's the takeaway I get from this. A spirit-filled husband should live in such a way for his wife that she would know that he would be willing to die for her well-being. And a spirit-filled wife should give herself to her husband like she gives herself to Christ. Quickly, I'll get to the second one. This is it, children and parents. Now, I think it's great, as I said, Paul writes his letter to the church and he has a word for children who are personally, you know, in Roman worlds were never seen, heard of, had nothing to do with anyone. <laughs> they were pushed aside until they became of an age. In fact, I was reading this, a father could sell them for slaves, quite legit. You could sell your, your children for slaves. So why wouldn't you have a lot of them? <laughs> you could work them in chains and even inflict the death penalty on them if you thought they needed it. First century. Yes. Not just time out in the corner. You could put them to death if they didn't behave. And what does Paul say? You actually have a place in the church to the child. Wow. Wow. That's a bit of lifting up, isn't it? He basically explains three reasons why children should obey their parents. Have a look at them here. Number one, because it makes sense. <laughs> it's right. It's the right thing to do, he says. The parent brought you into the world and they had the knowledge and the wisdom. It's right to, to obey your parents. Secondly, because it's written. And he quotes a couple of verses, Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5 and 16. And he says that in verses 2 and 3. And then because obedience brings blessing, he says... And he states a principle. When children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives and instead enhance the quality of their lifestyle. Now, there's not too many children here, so I'm quickly moving over this. But there is a word for the parents. Have a look at verse 4. 
He addresses fathers because they're the heads of the family, but uh, the term actually can apply to parents. Okay? And I read this funny story. When my daughter lost her last baby tooth, this is the author, she said, I was a bit wary about the tooth fairy, and so I decided it was time to dispel this childhood myth. I hope there's no children in here. I hope there's no adults who believe in the tooth fairy. She said to this, she said to her daughter, you know how the Easter bunny is really mummy, and Santa Claus is also, yes, Kelly replies a little bit warily, well, there's one more person who really is me. Can you guess who that is? And slowly Kelly's eyes grew big as saucers and her mouth dropped open and in a small, awe-filled voice she says, God? <laughs> you know, the way we're viewed by our children is something very powerful. And sometimes you are perceived as God. That's why we have to do the right thing, isn't it? We have a great responsibility with our children. If we don't train them in the Christian way, who will? We can't send them off to Sunday school. We can't send them off to Christian schools. We have to do it at home. That's where they learn. And Paul reminds the parents to use their position not to put unreasonable demands. That's that word, exasperate. Don't put unreasonable demands on the child, but instead develop the child's full potential. And the last area Paul wants to talk about is slaves and masters. Now, I think, as I said, we can contextualise this to employer, employees, employee, employer. He always says the least first. Now, as I said, slaves don't exist in our society. They did when Paul wrote it. And in fact, you know what? The Roman period of time in history was the period of time where the least inventions were ever made. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because they had the perfect invention, humans. There were more slaves in Rome than ever in any other period of time. You don't have to create an, a washing machine if you've got a slave. You've got the perfect invention. You don't have to make a toaster. You don't have to stand around over a fire. You've got a slave that can do that. Inventions were not created during the Roman time because they had so many slaves. Interesting thought. But they did exist in the church. Even though they held nothing in society... And Paul has a word for them. And he has a word for us today, I think, if we apply it to employment and employees. As servants of Christ, we can learn three things from his teaching. First of all, have a look at the verses, 5 and 6. Consider all that you do, that you're really serving Christ. That you are really serving Christ. That's the first thing. The best way to be a good witness on the job is to give a good day's work. That's what he's saying. Secondly, doing a good job is the will of God. There's no such thing as a secular job and a sacred job. I don't believe that. Many of you might know I'm an electrician by trade. I did my trade when I left school. I've been an electrician. I am a pastor. But I think deep down I still think trade-like. In fact, I say to people, the church doesn't pay me to be their pastor. They pay me not to be an electrician. It keeps me grounded. The church pays me not to be an electrician, so they release me to pastor. But there's nothing between secular, I don't read about this in the Bible, between secular and um, sacred. Consider everything you do as doing it for the Lord, he says in verse 7. And in the end, in verse 8, you will be rewarded by the Lord. And then to the employer in verse 9, 
They must seek their employee's best interest. They must submit themselves to the Lord, who's the greatest servant of all, and they must pay play they must not play favorites which causes division so here's a very special teaching each person who is controlled by the holy spirit who is complete submission to the lord will have no problem submitting to those over them and here it is to each other through mutual love and respect wives and husbands through respect and responsiveness husbands to wives through service and sacrifice Children to parents, through obedience and honour. Fathers to children, through patience and encouragement. Employees to employers, through wholehearted effort. And employers to employees, through fairness and consideration. So this morning, and we're going to close now. Thank you for listening. This morning, what area is the Holy Spirit asking you to get real and take action in? That's the takeaway, isn't it? What area is he asking you to get real and take action in? What does he want you to look at and work at and call on him to change so that you can move forward together? How is your love one to another with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Wives, do you give yourself to your own husband as to the Lord? Husband, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Children, Are you obeying your parents in the Lord? Parents, are you raising your children in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord? Employees, are you obedient to your employers unto Christ? And employers, do you treat your staff as your master in heaven treats you? It's very pointed, Paul, in what he has to say. And this is how we move forward together. I want you just to look at those. Pick the ones that mean the most to you and I'm going to pray. Can you see it? Great God, we thank you for the challenge that Paul has for us. Where he wants to take us us in relationships. He starts with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what does submitting to one another look like? Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. Children to parents, parents to children. Employees to employers, employers to employees. You, Holy Spirit, have laid on each one of us something you want us to consider. Something you want to challenge us with. Something you want to motivate us and move us and stir us to move forward in. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that that would be the one thing that we grab onto and talk to you about today. If we have the time, this week, don't let us forget it. The devil wants us to. The Holy Spirit doesn't. This is about how we treat others well and imitate your likeness. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Because maybe there's something in the midst of all that was spoken. There's prayer needs. And uh, I would ask that you come down, have a chat with these people at the front and have some particular prayer. Otherwise, be released to live your life and have a good week. Thank you.